My name is Aaron Morrison, Mindset and Breakthrough Coach. And if you want to learn how to define your best life and have the courage to live it, you should be listening to the More Than Corporate Podcast with my good friend, Amber Furman. Welcome to the More Than Corporate Podcast, where we discuss finding fulfillment, defining success, and living your best life. There's no roadmap to success, no one-size-fits-all answer to fulfillment. I believe it requires us all to be vulnerable and authentic about what we want to accomplish and have the courage to step out of our comfort zone to chase our dreams. Keep listening to hear stories from inspiring people who make it their mission to live their best life every day. Welcome back to another episode of the More Than Corporate Podcast. I am super excited for this interview with Erin Morrison. Erin and I connected through a online networking group called Build Your Network and learned really quickly that we had a lot in common. He's also NLP trained. We learned about changes in career after learning about NLP, and it really was an amazing connection. And I knew immediately that I wanted to bring him on the show for you guys to learn from and hear his story. Erin is a successful entrepreneur, mindset and breakthrough coach, obsessed with learning, personal development, and unlocking our full potential as humans. Aaron works with his clients to get them from breakdown to breakthrough through his company, Wildfire Dynamics. I'm super excited for you guys to hear from Aaron. Really quickly, before we jump into this, this episode is brought to you by Success Development Solutions and the Define Your Life Mastermind. If you or someone you know has ever said the words, I'll be happy when, I just need to keep, insert whatever you think is going to make you happy here, losing weight, working hard, building my career, and then I'll be happy. If you've ever felt like you've done everything you're supposed to do, yet life isn't turning out the way you expected. If it seems like something is missing despite others telling you how successful you are, then the Define Your Life Mastermind is for you. The most powerful question anybody ever asked me is what does success mean to you? And as I've explored this topic on my podcast and with my coaching clients, it's become clear that most people don't ask and answer this question enough. The Define Your Life Mastermind is designed to help you get clear on what success means, what a well-rounded life looks like, and what your best life feels like. Once you know that, you can build a business that fits into the life that you want and surround yourself with people who give you the courage to step out of your comfort zone to live this vision. If this sounds like something that you or someone you know needs in their life, head over to defineyourlife.morethancorporate.com for more information and to schedule a call to see if we're a good fit to work together. I'm super excited to connect with you and help you reach your goals. And without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into this interview with Erin. Erin, thank you so much for coming on the show with me today. I really appreciate it. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. It's nice to be here. Yeah, it's been a little bit in the making, so I appreciate your patience while we get this all scheduled out. Not at all. Everything happens in exactly the right moment. Doesn't it, though? It let's does. go Let's go and learn a little <laughs> bit more about you. Where are you from? Uh, originally, I'm from Virginia Beach, Virginia. Okay. Uh, born and raised and moved down to Atlanta when I was 19 for work, and I decided that I liked it better, so I stayed. Nice. It's always a good story where you're like, I just moved and didn't leave because I liked it. Like yeah. most people have this big drawn out reason for why they went somewhere. And I love the, I just liked it. So I stayed. Um, what type of work were you in? Uh, I was in construction at the time. I was working for one of those companies that uh, in the roofing industry, they go around knocking on everybody's door saying, you've got hail damage, file a claim. (laughs) And uh, I worked for two of those guys. Uh, Now, back then, I mean, this is like 20 some years ago, right? So 
um, you know, that, that model back then was full of fly-by-nights, really, really unethical outfits. And I had the unfortunate luck of being connected with one of those. So uh. after just four short months in Atlanta, I found myself without a job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's crazy how um, the, the line that you're willing to cross, like you find that really quickly, um, especially in the sales world. Some people do. I mean, personally, me, I've uh, my like my core my core values like integrity, and so I just won't, right? Yeah. And to me, integrity is at the end of the day. Really, it's like at the end of the day, being able to look somebody in the eye and tell them to go take a long walk off a short pier because my because I know that it's intact right like that's what it means to me <laughs> yeah I and this is why we connect so well we have so much in our stories that are um, in common as far as where we've ended up and integrity is also my number one core value because I feel the same way like if I can't look at myself in the mirror at the end of the night and know that I've done everything right as far as you know true to what I said I was going to do and treated everybody the way that they should be treated, then I've lost everything. So, mm-hmm. yeah. so roofing, um, you lost that job quickly. Did you stay in that field or kind of what happened from there? I did. I made a lateral shift and I went from sales into supervision because I realized that I, I, I didn't like that. I had no control over the quality of the product that I was assisting in delivery. And so I said, you know what, I'm going to go be a, a, a supervisor guy. And so I did. And ultimately that was, you know, the, the 12 years I spent in that position, hiring, firing, training, you know, just writing the operations manuals and everything. I learned so much about, uh, you know, just communication and leadership, management, conflict resolution, negotiation and sales, just so many skills I picked up from that company. So it was, it was a good time. Yeah, I'm glad that you mentioned that because I was going to ask you how that was for you and getting you to where you are now. Because I know my dad was a contractor and he owned his own business. And I know like growing up in that area, you learn real quick about how to communicate with people. You learn about leadership because I mean, overall, like it can be a really dangerous place to be if you don't have that leadership, if you don't have the right communication. And then it can be really expensive if you're um, not getting the results that you need because you're not communicating well. So um, what do you think was the biggest lesson that you took from that time frame that you've carried into your work now? So I created a philosophy of kind of success at that time in my life. And I was in the unique position of being in charge of the entire replacement division. So at the, the peak of the, the business, I had a hundred guys under me in my department. And so I was the guy that, you know, it all rolled uphill to me. I got to, <laughs> I got to deal with all of it. I used to, I used to joke that the only tool I needed in my toolbox was roll the toilet paper and wipe everybody's dirty butt because <laughs> they just couldn't clean up their own mess. I, I created a philosophy of communication, accountability, and setting realistic expectations that if you just talk to people, just let them know what's going on, right? Especially bad news first, right? Bad news early, just get ahead of it. To do what you say you're going to do, just be accountable, fulfill on the promises you make, even if at the end of the day it costs you something because the loss of goodwill is just so intangible and, and just not worth the expense. 
and then to set realistic expectations and tell people how it's going to go before it goes and eliminate the, the space for them to make assumptions that you're going to be successful. And just following those three simple principles, I was able to eliminate 99.9% .9 of the problems and warranty calls that I was dealing with. And then I took those lessons when I moved into starting my own business and, uh, and just kind of expanded and realized that, hey, you know what, this is, this is actually not like roofing specific. This is business. This is all the way across the board. Yeah, um, I love that. And I'm so, that lesson of having those tough conversations and being willing to, you know, get those out of the way rather than just like trying to avoid the elephant in the room. It's one of the hardest things to do for most people. And it's so cool to learn that lesson so early on in your career. I, I call those energy leaks, you know? It's that unpleasant thing that you don't want to do. I think there's a book uh, somebody wrote called Eat That Frog. Um, it kind of same thing. I've never read the book, but I've heard about it. But yeah, it's like, just get it over with, you know, just swallow it, do it, you know, just break through that thing. Because once it's over, right, like the rest of your day is a piece of cake. Yeah. And like most things that we deal with in our mind, we're going to get into a ton of mindset stuff here soon, but when, like most things that we deal with in our mind, it's never as bad as you imagine it being like you imagine that conversation know. and you just think that the sky is going to fall and then you have it and you're like, Oh, like that wasn't yeah. so bad. Yeah. And, and people are surprisingly forgiving and understanding when, you know, my rule was always, you know, if something goes wrong, let me know. Then I formulate a, a solution before I communicate with the client. And then I'm bringing them the notification of the problem and the solution at the same time. So they don't even have the room to get upset. That was how I addressed it. Yeah. And that's super important, I think, is the solution side of it. Because I think that that's what's missing so many times when people are afraid to have that conversation is they know that they've messed up and they haven't really figured out what that solution is yet to fixing it. Um, but you, you can always, like when you come into that situation with a solution already in hand, it takes so much off because the next question, you know, the next question you're going to get asked is, okay, so what do we do now? And it's not having an answer to that that causes so much stress. Yeah. And, and, and to that end, so I, I was fortunate, I suppose, in that I had the, the power and the discretion to formulate those solutions. So I didn't have to, you know, consult with anybody else. I would just solve the problem. And so perhaps, you know, you know, in situations where they don't have that ability to, you know, create the solution for themselves, they still need to go hunting for it so that they have something to communicate to the client and, you know, like, go ahead and rip the bandaid off and then, you know, put the salve on it right away. Yeah, absolutely. Have you read Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss? Oh my gosh. I love that book. <laughs> I, I have my own personal like highlighted notes in the margin. <laughs> I've read it like three times. I watch all of his videos. I love that guy. Yeah, I love it. And he talks a lot about this as far as like the idea of anchoring um, and setting your like rough expectations and just like starting it with, hey, by the way, this is going to suck. Or like, hey, yeah. sorry, I, I messed mm -hmm. up. Like just get it out there so that they yeah. don't sit there and wonder like what's coming next. Mm -hmm. um, and it's so counterintuitive to kind of what we are all somehow raised to believe, like, I don't know how we all get raised to believe that these conversations are supposed to be so difficult. Um, but we all seem to end up in the same spot. And the idea of just throwing out that bad thing, just like 
ripping off the Band-Aid from the beginning is so counterintuitive to what we're trained. Well, I think we, we probably learn that by watching other people's behavior, you know, that by them avoiding conflict. And rather than just addressing the problem, they'd rather like talk about people behind their back yeah. or, you know, like you can see like visibly, you can see the stress that they're going through. So we learn as kids by watching people around us that, Hey, conflict is scary and difficult. And, you know, let me stay away from that thing. Or, you know, you went up and you had a conversation with somebody and they punched you in the mouth. It's like, <laughs> oh, I'm not going to do that again. So our yeah. brain creates a program of that's dangerous. Don't do that thing. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. If you're normal, otherwise you just end up being like a UFC fighter and like taking it because that's enjoyable. Um, so you mentioned your own business. When did you open your own business and what business was it? So it was the same industry. Um, it was uh, just various things that happened and it was time to move on and hang out my own shingle. And uh, I, it was another lateral move, right? Like I went from working for someone else to working for myself, started my own uh, exterior remodeling business, you know, and I did it the responsible way at that time where I was decreasing the time I worked for the other guy, increasing the time I worked for myself, tracking all of the numbers to make sure that when I actually transitioned, not working for myself was costing me money. And, you know, so I, I walked into my business making money from year one and I scaled it up to about a half a million uh, as a solopreneur, just subbing out the work and having my guys do the stuff. That's amazing. So I'm always interested to know whether you had planned on business ownership. Like, did you grow up with this entrepreneurial spirit where you always knew you'd be a business owner or did you just end up there based upon your life experiences? No, um, I grew up in a household where my mom was the primary breadwinner. My dad, as, uh, as brilliant as he was, super, super intelligent guy, but his limitations always got the better of him. And so I watched time after time when he would have an opportunity and get excited about the opportunity. And when it came time to execute on that opportunity, he would pull back and play small. And so that became kind of my unconscious program that I was running throughout my life to the point that like, I didn't want to work for someone else as long as I did, but I was so terrified of failing that I was afraid to go out on my own. My ex-wife that I was married to at the time, she was also more entrepreneurially minded and was encouraging me strongly to go out on my own. But she also wanted me to track it and make sure that I was making enough money that I wasn't going to bankrupt us <laughs> starting my own business. Um, I mean, so no, the I, small things in life, right? Yeah. I mean, come on. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I was never given that. I mean, when I was a kid, I can remember thinking to myself, knowing that, you know, I've got three siblings. So a family of six living on an income of approximately 36,000 per year, which yeah, try to do that nowadays. I remember thinking to myself, if I could just make $50,000 a year, just 50 K and I'll have made it right. I'll have made it. And then I got there and I realized that's not that much money. So. Yeah. And, and that's, and it's so crazy. Cause that's one of the places that our stories really, really intersect because my number was a hundred thousand, but it was just as arbitrary. Like there yeah. was no, there was no market research behind why six figures seemed to be <laughs> that place where everything was going to be okay. And six figures is obviously better than 50K, but right. I would assume that your 50K was also just this number that somehow made it in your head and you thought that everything's going to be okay. 
I always tell people that one of the most dangerous things about thing, uh, situations like that is that you might hit it. Because when you do, you realize that all of your life problems still exist. And yeah. that number doesn't bring you what you thought it would. And so I think it's really interesting that you say that. When you hit that um, 50K, you said you didn't realize, or you, you realized it wasn't as much as you thought it was. What was your mindset like at that point in time as far as um, where to go from there? Like, did you did you struggle with, I thought everything was going to be okay and now it's not? Or like, what was your mindset like? Well, the thinking was, if, if six people can live on 36, then one person can live very comfortably on 50. And the problem was that there's this tendency that people have to raise their standard of living and their the cost of their lifestyle along with their income. And so if I had kept things steady, then that wouldn't have been a problem, but I bought a house and I bought a vehicle. <laughs> and, you know, I, I like going out drinking on the weekends and you know, soon enough, that 50K was not enough. And uh, I was, I didn't know where to go from there other than I've got to make more money. And I didn't know how. Fortunately, uh, the girl that I was dating who became my wife was very driven, took her example. And, you know, she, I mean, she was in the industry for two years making more than me. And I was going, <laughs> okay, I'm playing small here, right? Like I, I can do more than this. And so I'm like, all right, what do I need to do? So I went and talked to the owner of the business. I said, what do I need to do to make more money? And he said, here's your game plan. This show me this. And I said, all right, cool. And I did it. And then I, I bumped up my income from 50 to 70 uh, within a, a year or so. Um, and I realized that, you know, that's not that much. <laughs> that's not that much either, you know, because I, I figured out how to spend that too. Yep. So. <laughs> yeah. So growing up, I can remember my mom telling me, Amber, if you can't live on 20, you'll never be able to live on 80. And I was like, what do you mean I'll never be able to live on 80,000 a year? Like, do you know how much mm -hmm. money that is? I agree she with that, was yeah. so right. Like, yeah. so right. I wish It's just that, a mindset. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. So what led to you leaving the roofing industry, construction industry behind? It was just the same stuff day after day, right? I mean, it's, it's the same kind of struggles that you find in any business, you know, getting stuff done, finding the good help, just all the hats that you have to wear as a business owner. And it, it became wrote after a while, you know, it became routine that I had been in the industry for almost two decades even though I was a very niche specialized trade and my area of expertise was, you know, very high, it was, it was the same thing over and over and over again. Right. And I wasn't growing. I wasn't progressing. And as you know, like as humans, we're always like striving for the next thing. We always want growth and progress. And I was just unfulfilled and unhappy. So I just began a quest of self-discovery and, you know, self-improvement. And I thought, I'm going to go be a real estate investor. So I started taking real estate investing classes. And then I went and took this, uh, this class about neuro-linguistic programming. Cause I thought, Hey, that'll help me with sales. And I thought, Whoa, okay. Yeah. I came out the other side thinking, yeah, I don't need all that stuff. I need to do this. <laughs> yeah. So I always love to hear how people found NLP because I don't think I've ever met anybody who says I took an NLP class because I wanted to learn NLP. Like everybody that I talked to took NLP because they thought it was going to solve a problem for them of some kind. They needed it in their life. And so I find it really interesting because 
mine was the same reason. Like I, it's going to make me a better attorney. It's going to make me increase my revenue in my law firm. And then I walked in and was like, oh, this stuff is, this stuff is good. Like, I like this stuff. So it's like, and it's, it's so crazy. It's so powerful for people who haven't done it. So you're a master practitioner of neuro-linguistic programming and you are like myself, you are using that in your business now doing what? I am a mindset and breakthrough coach. I work with entrepreneurs who uh, are stuck in the stress and the overwhelm and the anxiety to, you know, do more in less time, make more money so they can leave the office at the office and actually enjoy their time at home. What? That's a thing? Leaving the office at the office? I know as an attorney is probably foreign to you, but other people actually do do it. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's um, becoming less foreign to me, which I think is why I'm scaling back my law firm. Um, You know, somebody shared a meme today in my legal community that said sleeping positions and it had like a bunch of different ones. And then it said attorney and there was nobody in bed. Um, and I was like, yes, (laughs) I know this feeling all too well. And, (laughs) and this is one of the reasons I'm sure that you can relate to this. This is one of the reasons that I opened my own coaching business and really Mm -hmm. started to go down this road is because, um, about six months ago, seven months ago, somebody, um, got my mind thinking about what I wanted my life to look like. And they said, I wish that people would stop focusing on a particular career and instead focus on what they want their life to look like and build a business around that. Find out what gets you there. And for the first time ever, I started looking at the lives of an attorney that spent 30 or 40 years in practice and they're not always happy. They're not usually happy. And that's not the life I wanted. And so I think it's really interesting that you have this practice of breakthrough and mindset coaching where you try to help people have that realization before they get 20, 30 years into their career and realize that they're going down a road they don't want to be on. Well, I did that, right? Like I was in my career for 20 years and realized I was going down a road I didn't want to be on, you know, because, and and I think that's really kind of the foundation or the basis of a, what we call a quote unquote midlife crisis, right? Is we've gone far enough down the road that we, we look back, we've achieved success, right? And it's like, all right, great. I've arrived. And you, you look backwards and you see where you came from. And then you kind of extrapolate that out and you look forward and you go, I don't like where that goes but you're like terrified of making a shift. At least I was, right? I was, I was scared to death of shifting gears, changing course. This is all I know. This is what I've done my entire adult life. Like, and I'm successful at this. What, I don't want to start all over again. I don't want to build from the bottom up. And it was the NLP when I went through that course and having my own breakthrough that I realized that was my limiting thinking that was holding me back because I was so fixated on climbing that mountain, that one mountain and and acquiring all these skills and all the knowledge and all the tools to climb that mountain of roofing. Then I gotten far enough up to the top and I'm like, what, I'm just going to go down to the bottom and start over on another mountain. And it was the realization that, yeah, I can. And because the tools that I use to build that business are universal, right? The formula for success doesn't discriminate depending on the business that you're in right? It doesn't matter. The same principles apply, the same foundation. So I'm like, screw it. Now it's an adventure rather than this scary, undesirable thing. 
Yeah. And what I love about what you just said is for me, it was an identity thing. And Mm -hmm. I had to realize that I wasn't, it was an identity thing. And it was a look at all this time that I will have wasted if I Mm -hmm. make this switch. And what I love about what you said, and you mentioned it earlier too, where you talked about all the skills that you learned in the leadership and business related skills that you learned from construction is that all of these things that have gotten us to where we are in our businesses now are the same things that are going to make us good at what we want to do in the future. Like we're not leaving those behind. It's not wasted time because that knowledge, the skills, the expertise, like it comes with us and makes it makes us unique at what we do in the future. And I think that that part is something that people miss when they're looking at the small picture of, oh my gosh, I have to make this this shift or I'm going to make this, this change is they forget that they're not really leaving anything behind at all. They're just making different use of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, and, and that's one of the things that uh, actually that's the second thing that I say that my clients get from working with me is they become aware of the resources that they already have to deal with whatever comes up. Right. It's like, we've already acquired the skills. It's just, we need to apply them to these new challenges and rather than looking at new challenges as these, you know, hard, difficult, you know, undesirable things that we have to deal with. It's like, no, those are opportunities for growth. You know, that's an opportunity for me to expand and grow into the next version, the next level of myself. Yes. Um, I'm, I'm laughing just a little bit. Have you seen um, Brene Brown's Power of Vulnerability? Have you watched that TED Talk? I uh, may have. I've seen the uh, the Netflix special she did on Courage, I think. So I think she talks about it in the Netflix special too, but she talks about how like when you work for somebody and they do a performance review and there's like nine amazing things and one opportunity for growth and all you can focus <laughs> on is your opportunity for growth. So every time yeah. I hear that word, I hear her voice in my head um, because it's so true. Like but we never really look at it as an opportunity for growth um, until somebody reframes that for us. We look at it as this like black cloud of unknown. Yeah. So, um, and, and that's also a really important word too, is like criticism and reframing that because when we're making progress in a new field or when we're trying to um, level up our game, that criticism is so important to, to becoming better at what we do. But it's like when we say the word criticism, our mind automatically shuts off. And so it's like trying to figure out how to open that up. And I have switched to like constructive feedback and using that Mm. word instead, but it's so important. And it's the scariest thing to do is like asking your clients for, or asking your clients for how could I do things better or asking your employees for a review of you instead of you giving your employees a review, like so that you can level up your game. It's terrifying and it all comes back to criticism and it's so important. I, I agree to a certain extent. And I love I, it I, when someone disagrees with me. I used to feel that criticism was a negative thing, but I realized that not getting criticism was holding me back because there was a time there was actually, there were a couple of times when I almost lost my job when I was working for that roofing company, right? And I was kind of the senior guy in my department, almost lost my job because I was alienating the people underneath me. 
my subordinates and the guys that I was in charge of and the owner of the company came to me and said that he's like, Aaron, you, these guys are complaining about you. They say you talk to them like you're stupid, you're arrogant, you're difficult to work with. And I'm going, damn, why doesn't anybody tell me this stuff until like, it's almost too late. Right. <laughs> and so I have ever since then, like I viewed that as that was kind of my like peak emotional experience of, I almost lost my job. Right. I mean, we're talking about super high pucker factor and it was because people didn't tell me what I was doing wrong. And so I immediately like reframed my perspective around criticism as criticism is actually a gift that you give somebody, right? Telling them where they're going off the rails. And so I always solicit feedback, always, especially with my clients, you know, and I'm like, look, I want you to tell me whatever's coming up for you. And there was, there was an important piece of feedback I got from a client of mine. And so the way that I do it, the way that I do it, I learned this from a photographer friend of mine. And he says, you know, how would you rate my service on a scale of one to 10, right? And people are always going to like, they're going to always err on the high side, right? Like, you know, how would you rate on a scale of one to 10? What could I have done to make it a perfect 10, right? And it makes it super easy because people also don't want to be critical of you, right? Right. And that's the danger is even if you solicit it, them being honest and, and open and forthright with you and telling you where you went wrong. Um, and so I had a, a one, of, one of my clients gave me an extremely important piece of feedback and, uh, and I took it to heart. So that's awesome. That's awesome. Cause that's the next step is really taking that to, to heart and, and implementing it instead of becoming defensive, which I think is our natural response to criticism until we shift it. So yeah, I love that. Let's um, switch gears just a little bit and talk about success. What does success mean to you individually? How do you define that? Uh, well, I used to have that kind of old tried and true definition of, you know, being able to do what you want, where you want, when you want, with whom you want for as long as you want. And then I realized that that is not realistic <laughs> and, and good on you for whoever it was that managed to create that as the definition for success because nobody can attain that and you will constantly sell programs to those people who thinks that that's the definition for success so genius marketing move that one <laughs> um, so to me success is just improving at least one degree in one area of my life every single day because at the end of the year, if I've improved one degree or 1% every single day, that's 365 percentage points that I've improved in my life, which, you know, year over year over year, the compounding effect of that is phenomenal. I love that. Um, and, and it's so interesting. When I opened my business, I used to say, oh my gosh, I'm so excited. I've made it. Nobody can tell me what to do anymore. You know where this is going. Yeah, so, your clients can tell you what to do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was like, nobody can tell me what to do anymore. Nobody can tell me where to be. Nobody can tell me what to do. And when like taking this a step further in the neuro-linguistic world, like nobody includes me. So I didn't tell myself what to do either. And like I had zero structure in my business for the first little bit. And zero because I was like, I'm just going to go wherever I want. And it was like, I don't want to go to the office today. I'm not going to go. And then I realized real quick that that's not success. (laughs) So I totally relate to what you said. Um, I want to know, based upon your definition of success with improvement, how do you 
make sure that you are grateful and honoring what you have accomplished while also trying to improve? Like, how do you avoid just constantly chasing that next improvement? Well, um, well, I mean, I always am chasing the next improvement, um, but I, I keep a to-do list, right? I write down my objectives and my targets, and then I cross them off my list. I celebrate my wins. I, you know, celebrate the progress that I made that day. And I also schedule into my day learning and growth activities. So I read every single day. I have online courses that I take, and I study those every single day. Failing that, I'll go and watch like impact theory or, you know, motivational videos or whatever on YouTube, you know, but I'm always consuming some sort of positive content in my, in my vehicle. When I drive, I have my, you know, NLP training audios that I listen to as I drive, you know, and everything is, and so I love learning. So it's easy for me. And because all my learning just makes me a better coach for all of my clients too. So it's like, it's, it's learning with a purpose now rather than just because I enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Okay, so follow-up question. When I started asking um, this question about success, I realized probably about four months into this podcast that I would ask about success and the answers that what I would get would be about fulfillment. And I realized that there are a lot of people who define success by being fulfilled. So I started asking this follow-up question. Do you think that fulfillment comes first followed by success? Or do you think that you have to be fulfilled in order to be successful? Well, I guess that would be if you define success as a state, right? And, um, right. you know, so it's like this, the state of feeling successful. So, I mean, is that what fulfillment means to you? Is that how you define fulfillment as the state? Like how, well, I guess, let me rephrase that. How do you define, define fulfillment? How do I define fulfillment? I'm not honestly sure. I've not really contemplated that. Uh, you can't define something as the absence of something else. So fulfillment would simply be feeling satisfied that I did the best that I could that day. And do you think you can be successful without feeling, without fulfillment? Well, I guess that depends on what your definition of success is. You know, are we, are we, is this financial success? Yeah. You can be financially successful without feeling fulfilled. I mean, I was, I was grossing, you know, 500 K a year and, you know, as a solopreneur working part time, you know, most people that's like a dream life. Right. But I was unfulfilled because I wasn't being challenged. I wasn't growing. You know, it was the same thing over and over and over again, every single day. It was like, golly, this again. So yes, you can be financially successful without being fulfilled. But in, in I guess my definition of success too, improving one percentage every day in one area of my life, that success does fulfill me. So yeah, I like that. I like, and I ask this, by the way, you're not the only one that has trouble answering this question, which is why I ask it. And, and I love the fact that so many times this idea behind external and internal success comes out when I ask that question, because yeah. it's something that so many people don't think about. So there's a couple of things that are really core to what I think is important in moving your life forward. And one of those things is the ability to get out of your comfort zone. We talked um, about the idea of um, failure and, and fear of, of not being successful when we talked about whether or not you were going to open your own business. How do you deal with 
that fear when it comes up as you're pushing yourself out of your comfort zone, which obviously gets bigger as, as time goes on. But how do you make sure you're pushing yourself out of your comfort zone and growing on a regular basis? Well, you're not growing when you're comfortable. I'll tell my, my clients and I'll tell my friends, like all growth is uncomfortable. That's why they say no pain, no gain. <laughs> That's why when you hit a growth spurt, they call them growing pains. I mean, growth is uncomfortable. And, you know, it's it, the, the key is becoming comfortable with discomfort. And, you know, our brains are hardwired to protect us, right? Keep us safe. That is the number one prime directive of the unconscious mind. Keep us safe. Keep us alive, right? And the problem is, you know, the reaction of people when they feel that fear to pull back and to stay safe rather than recognizing it. And it, it, it is a process of consciously reprogramming the mind to instead of feeling the fear as a signal to pull back, feeling the fear and recognizing that as this is an opportunity to grow. And so like we shouldn't be afraid of, you know, making mistakes. We should be afraid of not making mistakes because if we're not making mistakes, we're not trying things. We're not taking action. We're not moving. We're not learning. And so it's, it's just a, it's, it's a, it's a need in a process of becoming comfortable with being uncomfortable, right? Of living in that space and reframing it to mean that this means I'm growing. This means I'm moving closer and closer to my goals and my objectives. And every single person I've talked to that's successful has said the same thing, right? Like you never stop feeling the discomfort. It never goes away. You know, famous successful speakers are like, they still get nervous when they go on stage, right? But they have their techniques and they have their ways of overcoming that and pushing through it, right? And I don't remember who it was that said everything we want is on the other side of fear. And so it's just the acknowledgement that becoming comfortable with being uncomfortable is necessary. It's a necessary part of the process. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it only affects us perfectionists or recovering perfectionists, but at some point in time, this fear of doing anything wrong, like the fear of looking stupid, the fear of not accomplishing what you want to accomplish, not, not being successful in what you're trying to do, that paralyzes people. So I started reading and I haven't finished it, but I started reading a book by Kyle Cease called, I hope I screw this up. Have you read that yet? I have not. So the title just kind of drew me into it because I was intrigued, but his entire book is about what you're talking about. Like I hope at some point in time that I mess this up because if I don't mess it up, then I'm playing way too small. Yeah, I agree with that. I love it. Um, I never thought I would ever be taking advice from Bogey Lowenstein, but like that's the way it is. So I, I didn't know that until I started looking up this book, but Kyle Cease played Bogey Lowenstein in 10 Things I Hate About You. Huh, and okay. now he's a personal development speaker and giving advice. So yeah. All right. So let's talk about what's coming up for you. Do you, what are you excited for on the horizon? What are you excited for learning or doing or launching or teaching or, or what's, what's coming up for you? I mean, honestly, I'm excited about the same thing I'm excited about every single day, which is unlimited potential. You literally can do anything that you want to do, right? If you just simply put your mind to it and believe in your ability to accomplish that, which you set out to do. 
I'm building, you know, heck, I'm building my coaching business, right? You know, and just working on the systems and building the systems and just enjoying every uncomfortable step of the way. <laughs> yes. Yes. I love it. I love it. Well, I've had so much fun with you today. Before we move into the last segment of this podcast, my favorite, the random round, where can people track you down if they want to follow up with anything that we've talked about today or connect with you just to say what's up? Uh, best way would be to go to my website, www.wildfiredynamics.com. That's W-Y-L-D-F-Y-R-E dynamics.com. And uh, there's a little pop-up on there where you can download a free five principles of success uh, PDF. Um, and there's also an opportunity there to jump on a complimentary 30-minute strategy session with me to uh, you know, get some clarity around what's coming up, you know, where you're at, where you want to go and some action steps to get there. Um, no sales, just strategy. Come check it out. I love it. No sales, just strategy. Love it. All right. So let's move into this random round. I, I love hearing people's answers to these questions. If you could do anything other than what you're currently doing, what profession do you think would be fun to attempt? <laughs> Now, I, you should say, what, if I had to do something other than what I'm currently <laughs> doing, because like, I'm doing exactly what I love. Like, I can't think of doing anything else. But what would be, what would be fun to attempt? Shoot, I don't know. I always wanted to be a professional baseball player, but that's not, that's still like, I don't know, that's not big enough for me. Uh, you know what? I would, I would be the guy that started that like Thrive or whatever it is, that water charity where he goes and like builds wells in Africa. Yeah. Like some, I would do something like some massive, like nonprofit humanitarian organization. Like that seems like that would be awesome. I love it. I love it. So that's on your, on your checklist, um, which I can totally see you doing at some point in time, some <laughs> like massive world changing um, nonprofit organization. So like sending people to the moon or shit like that. So, um, but not <laughs> hey, for a million dollars. So like, I mean, did you if, ever, it, if it accomplishes a goal, I mean, you know, right. Did you ever think there would be a time in our lifetime where you would be like looking at people getting ready to take passenger spaceships to mm -hmm. the moon? Like that's insane. Really? Yeah, it didn't seem that far-fetched to me, I, but I was like a sci-fi nerd when I was a kid, you know, so. That's awesome. I was just waiting for my bowling alley to get automatic scorekeepers, so like, <laughs> I mean, okay. I, I was still, I was still learning, I mean, I knew how to take, how to score bowling, and we uh -huh. were still, when I graduated high school in like 2000, um, for I think five or six years after that, they were still doing hand scoring in my, wow. in my town, yeah. Yeah, it's small town, small town. I was going to say, that sounds like a small town kind of, kind of <laughs> yeah. thing. All right, um, time travel. If you could travel anywhere, um, where would you go and why? If I could travel anywhere, I would go back to colonial America before the Revolutionary War when they were just all the conspiracies and like, you know, the, the founding fathers and fascinated by that time in our history. And I think that it would just just the great minds, right? And just the concepts that they created, you know, for this, you know, republic that we have, it's like, it's never been done anywhere in the world ever before. And I'm like, I, I just think it would be amazing to be able to, you know, just be in that space and talk to those guys. I love it. Um, superpowers, skills, qualities, whatever you want to call them. What do you think your superpower is? My superpower is my ability to learn extremely quickly and my my recall which 
recently, um, I've had several people comment on, they've said that uh, actually my recall is so good that it makes them sick because <laughs> they're like, I had to study so hard in school and like you just read something once and you just got it. And I'm like, okay, well, however my brain works, I learn fast and I have great recall. So that's good. <laughs> Love it. Um, when you are reading, ideally, I know that we um, all kind of have auditory stuff going on when we're traveling, but what is your actual preference, reading books or listening to them? I prefer a physical book in my hands. Um, and I always read with a highlighter and a pen because I will make, I will highlight stuff and then I'll underline stuff and I'll make notes in the margin with my pen. So yeah, I read physical books with a highlighter and a pen in hand. This is why you're my people. <laughs> Absolutely. I, yep. Um, all right, let's do um, books. Let's stick on books for a minute. Um, cool. What book do you recommend the most to people in the entrepreneurial space? There, I can't recommend one. I always recommend three. And the reason that I recommend these three is because they espouse many of the same concepts and principles, and they say it three different ways. And by reading three different sources and three different kind of methods of delivery and kind of styles, I think you have a much fuller understanding. So the three books that I always recommend in concert with one another are da, 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 Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, <laughs> like the number one most recommended book in history. Um, I also recommend Maximum Achievement by Brian Tracy and then Unlimited Power by Tony Robbins. And those three books, I think, just together form, like, if you wanted, like, the recipe for success, it is in those three books. I love it. That's a powerhouse list of authors, too. Yeah. Yeah, I love those guys. Awesome. And then just to wrap things up, because everybody who listens to this podcast knows that I'm a music nerd, what is your pump-up song? Like, what song do you listen to and you just can't have a bad day? The one song that, like, it... No matter what, right? Like, I love this song. Always puts me in state. Like, if I've got a heavy set of, like, deadlifts or squats, this is the song. Um, it's uh, Whatever It Takes by Imagine Dragons. So good. Oh so good. God, I love that song. I was waiting to see, like, what type of guilty pleasure came out. I think I asked that question to somebody <laughs> once, and they were like, I don't want to tell you. And it was, like, some, like, Bonnie Tyler song or something like that. And I was like, this is amazing. Um, oh, yeah. Because I created a Spotify playlist called the More Than Corporate Playlist. And okay. everybody who, like, every guest who's oh, answered cool. this – their pump-up song is in this playlist. Oh, and cool. so now there's this Bonnie Tyler song just stuck in the middle of this motivational <laughs> playlist. I love it. So, um, oh, I and love it reminds it. me of her every time. So I love it. Uh, well, thank you so much for coming on the show with me. I have really appreciated it. And before we wrap up, one more time, where's the best place for people to find you? Best place, go to www.wildfiredynamics.com. Get the free download, book a strategy session, and uh, prepare for awesomeness. Love it. Thank you so much, Aaron. I've really enjoyed the conversation today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the show. I hope that something that was said resonated with you or provided value to you in one way or another. I'd love to hear more about your thoughts on the show. You can reach out to me on Facebook or Instagram at Amber Furman. 
Also, I've created a Facebook community for followers of the show to interact with me and other members of the community. You can find that on Facebook at More Than Corporate. So go ahead and join that group if you'd like to stay up to date on podcast happenings and meet some really cool people. Again, thanks so much for tuning in.